Welcome to Bi Plus Podcasting for the Bi Plus Universe. I'm Elizabeth Meacham, and I'm here with Mick Collins and Amy Leibowitz, who are my guests today. Uh, my co-hosts are my guests, so this is going to be fun. Both of them have books coming out and have had books out previously, um, and I've been wanting to interview them for a while because their books are amazing. They're very talented writers um, in their own right and uh, do all sorts of other things. Let's, let's find out more about them. <laughs> so uh, let's let, um, who wants to go first? Introduce yourself. Tag, hey, Amy, you're it. Oh, I'm it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm Amy Leibowitz, and I write as A.M. Leibowitz. Uh, and I had, um, during COVID, actually, I had one set of short stories uh, that uh, that came out, um, what she said, which is women-centered short fiction, and I have another novel due out May first called Every Time We Meet, which is kind of a time loop um, in the style of Groundhog Day um, about a woman having a really, really terrible day and her wish to have it to do over again. Uh, and that one is kind of fun because it's set in my hometown um, during our big, biggest festival of the year, the Lilac Festival, which is kind of going to be a little weird this year with COVID. But hopefully, if anyone local is reading it, it'll bring back all the lovely memories of the many years that we actually did have a real Lilac Festival. Very um, cool. Yeah. What's uh I was going to ask you, where is your hometown again? So I am in the Finger Lakes region of New York. I'm in Rochester. Okay. That's right. I remember. <laughs> okay, Mick, your turn. All right. My name is Mick Collins, and um, I write under Michael R. Collins. I have one uh, novella coming out sometime. Uh, I'm not sure I asked the publisher the other day, and she's she got a little backlog, COVID and all that, you know, it's kind of pushed everything behind. So uh, sometime this year, um, I've got a book coming out called Varum Malum, which is a horror story, like most all of my other stuff. Um, and I, uh, I think I've got a short story coming out in a collection also at some point. But uh, beyond that, I really haven't had too much going on between just working a ridiculous amount and a little bit of writer's block, you know, too many projects in my head and get that, that log jam going. And you're, yeah, if I remember right, you're, uh, you're actually in the same city where my grandparents used to live. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with that city. And exactly yeah. Yeah. I'm in Allentown and it's center city even. So yeah. It's, oh it's yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they used to live right on 7th Street, so... Oh, okay, yeah, so I'm probably not too far from where they were then. But anyway, so yeah, and then uh, other than that, uh, I actually... Uh, my wife and I have a business that we're trying to start, um, mainly, like, recycled and reclaimed goods. So, to me, we were talking at one point, you are working with a publisher now, and Amy, you work with a publisher as yes. well. And um, maybe you both could talk about, uh, I think Mick is somewhat relieved that he's got a publisher now, but what, what's the difference between self-publishing, you know, doing that yourself um, and having a publisher and how does one even go about getting a publisher? 
sacrificing something to a dark lord usually. Yeah. <laughs> that bad. Make Sometimes. Who's, who's your publisher? Uh, it's a Terror Tract. Okay. Um, small publisher. Um, obviously, mainly horror. Yeah. So. I love this. I love the small publishers because yeah. it it has a little bit more personal feel to it, and there's a bit faster turnaround for books coming out. And, um, but it's either way, it's a lot of a lot of work. Um, but there's yeah. some there's some issues with big publishers, like they'll give you an advance, and then if you don't sell enough copies of your book. Uh, it can be a serious problem for an author. So that's oh, wow. not an issue with a small press. You don't really usually get an advance like that, no. but then you have to do all of the marketing and all of the other stuff in order to actually earn anything on your books. So there's always some trade-off there. Did yeah. you started out self-publishing? Um, I actually started off with a publisher and then went to self-publishing and now I'm back to a publisher. Okay. Okay, cool. How did so and I've always I've always been hybrid. Um, I wasn't intending to publish at all. And then I happened to have a friend who had a publisher who said, I'd really like to send your manuscript to my publisher and see what she thinks. And uh, that's how I ended up with a publisher. And once I had one, I felt a little more confident in just publishing um, collections of stuff I'd put up on my blog and, and whatnot. Um, and just putting those together into a collection. Um, so I don't usually self-publish novels or anything longer than short story length um, mm -hmm. or collections of short stories. I, um, Nick, wasn't your, your last book was a collection, if I recall. Yes, yes. Yes, I, yes. I, Nick's, Nick's books are great to read around Halloween. And they're a lot of fun. Um, but he's got some great books. Uh, the first book, in, and I think this is how, uh, let's see. Oh, the Winter Sun one. That's the oh, Pale Winter Sun? That was actually the second yeah. one. That's the second book. Is really great if you've got um, teenagers. It's a hmm. good book for, for anybody who's struggling with sexuality um, in their teen years, especially coming from a religious background, which you both do come from kind of well you were surrounded by mormons i don't know if you grew up mormon nick no no just i grew up amongst them so he he kind of had an insight to um mormon mormonism that a lot of us don't um and amy you grew up evangelical like sort of i actually when when i was much younger so my parents um are were it, uh, mixed religion. So my mother had been evangelical and then left that. And my father uh, is Jewish. And um, so we were raised with multiple um, religions. And we grew up in the Unitarian Church because it was the only place at the time. Uh, because my father um, is conservative, um, his family is conservative Jews, not um, not reform, so they didn't consider us real Jews. So um, us kids. So we ended up at the Unitarian Church, where we learned about other religions as well, but also were able to learn about our um, our Jewish um, faith. And then I got sucked into evangelicalism ah, by a friend okay. um, because 
there was a huge, it was much bigger in the 80s and early 90s for um, evangelicals to make a big push to convert Jews because there was a lot of, it was coming right off satanic panic and um, that sounds like a lot of apocalyptic Christianity. teaching and yeah. the end of the world is coming and um so there was a huge push to try to convert a lot of Jewish people mm -hmm. um, at the time because there was a belief among evangelicals that all Jews will eventually be converted um, before the end of the world. So, <laughs> yeah, so um, it took me a long time to sort of work my way out of that. And my, um, my family is still um, Lutheran, but my... Um, my younger child is uh, atheist, but my, or agnostic, somewhere yeah. in between the two of those. And my older one considers himself both a Jew and a Lutheran. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and I went back to my study of Talmud and um, Jewish practice. So uh, even though I am disconnected from community um, mm -hmm. right now, so... Yeah. It's um, yeah, we, yeah, we're now technically members of you know, I it's hard. I think COVID's really uh caused a lot of introspection for me, anyway. But um, you know, we're we go to the same hippie Lutheran denomination, yeah, um, which is very open, and depending yeah. on which congregation you're in, can be very open. And, and so, I guess if anybody is listening to this, they will know that I don't specifically um believe in, yeah. Christian teaching specifically. So one, uh, which one? You know, I mean, so, but, so yeah. Yeah. But yeah, yay, Jesus, like cool dude. Um, <laughs> had some great things to say. God? She... Probably not. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think so much has been said in God's name. I don't know who God is. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Using, I think there's a lot of human crap. And uh, so I just kind of, my basic is like, well. Yeah, know. I made the mistake recently of commenting on someone's Facebook post about Jesus being a, a great guy and a prophet. And, you know, in the tradition of the rabbis, mm -hmm. he was Jewish mm -hmm. and got a lovely message back um, saying, and of course, if anybody's listening to this now, they also know, um, but I got a lovely, I'm in fear for your mortal soul oh boy. <laughs> message. Don't it's worry like, about my mortal I'm soul. sorry. Yeah. I don't actually believe in hell. So it's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You can be worried for me, but I'm not worried yeah. for me. Thanks. <laughs> it's going to be warm down there. It's great. Yeah, exactly. it's great. I like the sunshine. <laughs> I like All the my friends are down here. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, right? I, I yeah. don't really want to go to a place where my friends aren't, so. Yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> friends are loving you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find you guys had to do, have to do, when you write about religious topics, that you have to do more research, or does it just kind of come out of you? Where does all that I come had, from? I had to do research, and I kind of go on back. I think I probably should have done a little more than I did, but I tried to keep it vague but not vague mm -hmm. you know because i didn't grow up mormon i just grew up amongst them and so a lot of it was just you know kind of how i remembered certain things i had a lot of mormon friends and you know i went to a few services and you know i did i did do some research but 
I guess because, you know, I'm picky and I want to try and be as, you know, get every single little detail perfect, you know, and there's yeah. a couple of things that it's like, well, you're not wrong, but you're not kind of right either. Yeah. Like yeah. But um, it's also from an outside looking in perspective, which I think mm-hmm. might be a, a little different perspective because I've always been pagan or, you know, some tree hugging heathen of some sort. Yeah. So, uh you know, that outside looking in, I guess maybe I'll, I, I, there's certain things I, I see or someone from the outside sees that if you're in it, you may not. And of course, uh, because I'm not part of that mm-hmm. particular mm-hmm. religion, there's certain things that maybe I don't see either that yeah. I could yeah. see. So I don't know. I try to get the best perspective kind of in and out. A lot of that, it was uh, in that book, you were kind of going more for the families than actual like church services and things yeah yeah which i think helps and then um um i have been in those churches i went to one all through high school i was at a church in which um at one point um a couple um had gotten pregnant um and weren't married and were made to stand up in front of the congregation and apologize um, and he was made to step down from his position as a youth minister. Um, in wow. another incident, uh, someone who was being baptized was outed as gay. And um, he was required to attend um, these 12-step meetings for sex offenders. Um, Holy crap. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Wow. So uh, I didn't have to research for it. Uh, I used real, real this things that have Catholic really background happened. background looks so tame, <laughs> you know, wow, yeah. we just didn't talk to people, you know, um, tell anybody about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there were incidents, like, my son once came home from Sunday school and said boys were better than girls, um, and he learned that in Sunday school, because I asked him, I asked him about that, and he said he learned that in Sunday school, wow. <clears throat> um, yeah, <clears throat> so, <laughs> um, <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's over it. My 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 kid is gender fluid, so yeah. <laughs> I think we have gotten over the boys are better than girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, he figured it out. Yeah, um, but it's just there's so many layers to that. It took me a while to not be still angry about so mm-hmm. many of the things that happened during the years that I was in those churches and the layers and layers of shame on people and um you know it took me until adulthood to realize that bisexuality was a real thing because there I was going well I'm into guys so I guess this other part of me is just sin or temptation or and everybody struggles with this and you just have to overcome it so um but then when I look back you know I think about things like um I had this massive crush on my college. Uh, we had they had this thing that was like a big sister or big brother type yeah. of thing, where an okay. older upperclassman had a younger uh, freshman as their buddy, and I had a massive crush on mine. Which I'm, I, she's probably not ever going to listen to this, but I guess if she does now, she knows. <laughs> and <laughs> she she's she's actually she is also gay. So um, and had at some point left school, I think. 
because of that. And nobody, it was very secretive. Nobody ever explained why she'd left or anything. And now, you know, later on coming to find that out about her and about a a large number of my classmates um, (laughs) turned out to be (laughs) gay, lesbian, or bi. (laughs) Um, So yeah, yeah, it was very interesting. I was, I was at a Christian school and the faculty isn't terribly conservative, but the student body was at the time. So much less so now. Uh, So very, just a lot of those kinds of experiences. And now, you know, when I found that out about this, um, my college crush, I I thought, man, I wish we'd known that back then. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's so So. much easier for my kids now. uh, Oh yeah. uh, At least in this town and and surrounding towns, maybe not so much, but you know. um, Yeah. Oh, there's just so much information out there now. I think we know about bisexuals now and there wouldn't have been a lot, a lot of guessing. But you wrote oh. a book too about, um, you wrote a series of books about a kid who was an adult that had grown up. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I will say that I, while I didn't have to do research about what it's like to be in that environment, I did have to do research on how churches launder money. Uh, yeah, (laughs) because I wasn't exactly sure how that would work, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's actually kind of easy because churches are tax exempt. So you just filter it through as if it is, um, tithes and offerings and there's a whole bunch of different ways. They can collect cash in the offering plate. Yeah. 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 That I, I had the church laundering money and then, um, funding a, um, a, an ex-gay ministry because those were they're not as big now as again as they were yeah, back in the 80s down. and 90s yeah. but right, yeah. but the guys who were running it kept coming out as gay <laughs> i just remember that yes they, they kept yes! coming out as gay <laughs> and then going back through the whole thing themselves and then coming out as gay anyway and i think finally they Yes. Um, yes. And like a, a, a number of them have not only that since come out as gay, but also there's at least a couple who have started recovery um, ministries for people who have been through the ex-gay ministry. So yeah, they're not- like act- actively helping people to yeah. recover from having been part of that and to, you know, just be honest about who they are. And um, as long as they're not making money off of it, because, you know, you cause yeah. the problem. They better not be charging people to fix it. No, um, a lot. No, they're not. There's okay. um, s- some of them are doing nonprofits and, and actively trying to work against um, this this kind of thing. Okay. And I know at least one of them is um, at least one of the women um, and one of the men have since come out as bisexual. So um, so well, not uh, exclusively yeah. gay. And and that is of course where some of that problem is is that you've yeah. got people who could fake it till you make it kind of thing yeah. because you're they already have interest in more than one gender so yeah. Yeah. you know. can just but then you end up with somebody you don't like so. yeah right <laughs> try to force the situation um what is okay your anthology that came out last year it was really amazing amy your writing both of oh. you guys are just the writing the the world building is just incredible in it. It's very compelling. You both write books you can't put down. Um, thank you. I just thank you. Yeah, whenever Mick writes something in 
sometimes it'll sit on my Kindle, but one because I know once I sit down, I, <laughs> that's I'm, it. I'm there for the day because <laughs> yep. I'm kind of a slower reader. And same thing with yours. I'm like, I got a free day. It's time to read it, and and just it just went so fast. And and there was it's a pretty sizable book. It's not short, but um, you have two characters. I hope you keep writing about that. Uh, there was a story in there where they met in the fifties and. Oh. Canyon story um, to that. Oh, Dottie that. and Barbara. Yes, yes. <laughs> they appear occasionally in different things. Yeah, okay. they. That was a piece that I had written for an uh, an open call for an anthology of short stories, mm-hmm. and that publisher collapsed. So I was. Oh. So okay. I, the rights were returned to me after a lengthy process of demanding them back. Um, and I ended up self-publishing that and then I pulled it because I wanted to include it in this collection. Okay, cool. Yeah. There's so much that goes on in the publishing world that I'm just completely, I think most people, (laughs) book, shiny, read, and then you don't think about all the stuff that goes into making the book. And and how long does it take you guys to write, like, Nick, how long does it take you to write a a book-length story, for example? I am the least prolific writer I know. It takes me forever to write anything. Um, Like, well, (laughs) the last full-length novel I did, it took me about 15 years. That was just because it was a a project that I kept puttering with, puttering with. And I was actually going to work on it after my first one got published, but then I decided to do Pale Winter Sun instead because that came up. And so it took me a while. I think Pale Winter Sun took me about a year-ish maybe a little less. Okay. Um, which I do have to say, I got to give a, a shout out to Amy because she did edit Pale Winter Sun <laughs> and made it a much better book than <laughs> what it was. Um, and then I think, Amy, it was, we were interviewing you on Bycast and I had, uh, you'd mentioned your publisher. I sent it to them and they're the ones who actually suggested I make it a young adult novel, which kind of mm-hmm. turned everything around and um, was definitely a very helpful suggestion. But yeah, no, it takes me forever to write anything. It's horrible. But you, you tend to write about teenagers a lot, speaking of young adults. Is that because you've been writing about it since you were a teenager? <laughs> You're 15 years, yeah. No, but I mean, I've, I've noticed that about your books. They have a lot of teen prota- protagonists. Um, what's that about, Mick? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I got issues I got to work out. Maybe yeah, I like torturing I, teenagers because I write horror. I don't know. Yeah, There's yeah. something there. That's what I was wondering. No, it, it just, Actually, um, I think that's great because I don't yeah. think there is enough good horror that is available for teens. Like, not that teens can't be reading things like Stephen King. I mean, I was yeah. as a teenager. But oh, sure, yeah. There, it's, it's an untapped uh, market, I think, yeah. horror for teens. There yeah. used to be a really big... Um, swell of that when I was a teenager and I used to read Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein and uh, I can't remember who else um, there's another one a woman who wrote um, I can't remember her name but there was a pretty big swell of those books again in the late 80s and then it seems like that just sort of fell to the wayside and that there hasn't been really solid good no. teen horror since it's, then it's no. turned into apocalypse novels you know yeah. and think that's what happens is they cycle through genres like they do right styles right. but, but yeah you're right there was like uh, goosebumps and all that um although i thought that was for younger 
Never not Goosebumps. R.L. Stein oh. actually wrote some for older teens. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I kind of think maybe the teenagers always wondered if, if that's because their lives are so unlived, you know, that it's easy to make them go on adventures, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Send them on adventures and, and journeys. Um, well, it's because they don't have, most it. of the time they don't have jobs. So, you know, yeah, they, you don't have to right. factor that in. They have all the time in the world to do stuff. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I've never been a huge fan of the dystopian or apocalyptic genre all that much. Yeah. There's some really good ones, but it's just not my favorite. And I'm hearing some teens now are kind of tired of that genre. And yeah. So it would be great if we could bring back some of the... I, I'm seeing a, a, a swell of um, teen superhero yeah. novels yeah. as well. Uh, but there's just... there There's there's a lot of people who are kind of listening to what teens are saying they want and what they're interested in. And it's really great to see um, just more variety, I think. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get the, you know, you get the, the authors are just following trends and then you get the ones who are actually paying attention to, you know, what people want, trying different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what a lot of the, the apocalyptic and dystopian ones where it was, you had a formula. And that formula included, you know, the end of the world and then some teenage savior. You well, know, we're now no. just like, okay, let's let's make a good story here. Uh, we just get into such such ruts. Did you find that with publishers that they'll kind of steer you towards one thing or another? Is that kind mm-hmm. of a danger? With the Not with the small presses, I don't think. I think the bigger publishing companies, yes, yeah. um, and even some of the larger of the small presses will kind of. St- steer people toward what's popular and but no I I write for two publishers and neither one of them has ever said and eh, now there's not really a market for that yeah okay <laughs> they just look for yeah, whatever I've got next that's the other thing I mean you find you found queer friendly publishers uh, um, yes but uh is that getting easier do you think or what, than when you started out um, how many years have you guys been doing this? And has it been easier to sell publishers or even just independently um, publish and sell uh, queer content, queer teenage content? Um, what do you think? It's gotten easier over time or is there, what's the market like out there? Um, I, uh, I think most... Overall, you're getting a little better climate, but I think you still have some of them that are kind of digging their heels in, saying that, you know, they have, they're going to hold the their straight ideals, I guess. But I think it is getting a little bit better, but I think you're also getting more uh, just straight up queer presses, too. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I, and I think it's genre specific too, because in some genres they're still kind of quote unquote traditional. Um, yeah. Horror can be that way. You got some that I mean, I they don't explicitly say it, but I won't touch with a ten foot pole. Just judging on some of the stuff that they are publishing, they're not going to be the most open minded in, in in the world. And especially when you get into speculative fiction. Because we all know how diehard fans can be, and to get them to change anything at all 
can be, you know, blasting caps and dynamite. So it's it, certain genres. I think it's still going to be pick and choose, but I don't know. I feel like it might be getting a little better though. Do you think as far as bisexuality goes? Um, I think that might still be a little bit uh, tougher because people are still, I think, it's not as big as just gay and lesbian. That's one mm -hmm. technically everyone knows and that's what they think about. Um, but I think in the last couple of years, there's more and more out about it. So there was more and more people willing to to take that chance. But still, I mean... Still a little bit of a fight, I guess. So my experience is that the biggest <clears throat> sellers in um, gay and lesbian fiction still tend to be romance <clears throat> and primarily gay romance and not super bi or trans friendly. Um, uh the majority, it's not necessarily the publishers, it's a lot of it is the readership because a lot of the readership tends to be, um, well, so they did some surveying and found that about 50% of the people reading gay romance are straight women. The other 50% is made up of queer women and a very small sliver of gay men. And so it's kind of tricky because that's still the thing that gets pushed the most, mm -hmm. even though by far speculative fiction um, is much, much more popular and diverse and uh, speculative fiction with LGBTQ characters um, tends to be very open to the entire spectrum. Uh, publishers are actively seeking uh, queer speculative fiction because it's just so it's it's a it's a growing need. Uh, a lot of people are just so tired of um, tired of romance or tired of contemporary or. But you have the difficulty. I was just on a panel for um, the Rainbow Space Magic uh, online convention, which is um, basically queer speculative fiction. I was on the bisexual panel because I had written my first bisexual speculative fiction. Um, technically, uh, time loop is contemporary fantasy. So, um, so I was on this panel and as we were talking about it, we were discussing the fact that um, readers still have expectations of what a queer book looks like. And that usually looks like cisgender, gay, and lesbian couples or bisexual yeah. couples who can sort of look more gay um, or trans couples that are, it depends. Um, sometimes what people want is uh, a very hetero passing trans couple. And sometimes yeah. what people want is for them to be I, I see it more with gay fiction that they want a gay couple where one of them is a trans guy. Um, and there's really just some not so great kind of turfy attitudes toward romance where uh, one of the women is trans um, in a, a lesbian couple. So it's, it's complicated. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
I guess is the best answer for that. Um, but having been in contemporary and romance up until I started writing this most recent novel, I have seen a lot of a lot of things where it's the market is very heavily controlled by certain factors, and a lot of that is controlled by you know how how you get your reviews and. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of fighting between can women write gay fiction and or should only gay men be writing gay fiction and it's just it's it's very headache inducing. Uh, yeah, I noticed that online. It's like, well, you can't write. Well, okay, but if I can't, if I can't write a character, I'm I'm only writing about me. You know. Right. Well, and I but I think the distinction is. Are, there's a couple of there's a couple of distinctions. So there's first, are you writing about that person being gay? Like, is that the focus of the story? Because if you're not gay, you probably should not be writing the gay experience. something that's heavily focused yeah. on that development in a person, mm-hmm. um, because you haven't experienced it and know having to hide what you write because your job might fire you for writing explicit romance does not count. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It just doesn't. Um, There's also the question of, um, are you exclusively writing about a population you don't belong to? Well, why do you want to do that? Um, Some people are doing that because they themselves are not yet out as trans, and that's fair. Um, Sometimes that's a way of exploring those kinds of identity issues. That's fair. But there are an awful lot of people who are not exploring an identity issue, but who just find it hot. So there's definitely the the issue of, are you exploiting people in the same way that cisgender heterosexual men exploit lesbians? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. why would you want to exclusively write about a population you are not part of and nothing else? There's a difference between I would like to write a variety of different characters, stories, whatever, and I'm only going to write about that. Like I know, I know a couple of white people who exclusively want to write about black people. I don't understand that. Like, why? I get that you maybe grew up in an urban setting, but are you sure you're the person for this? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. My my brief foray into writing uh, romance. It was interesting, if nothing else, um, uh, the dynamics and, you know, the, you know, the people who are writing it, the readers who are actually reading it, and you realize that you have, you know, a lot of cases, because it was very, very specific, and you've got this dynamic, and you got most of the people who are writing it, and most of the people who are reading it have absolutely nothing to do with who the books are actually about, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and it, it, it was just, it was a real interesting thing and a real education for me. And I decided that writing romance, you know, it was a fun thing to do. Um, but it just wasn't, you know, wasn't my deal. And so I went back to, okay, these are some other things I want to do. I'm not writing these, you know, stepping, I'm stepping too far out of, of my experience. And so I'm not, I'm not going to do it justice. I'm not going to do it as genuine. So let's move on. I kind of ended up deciding that, so I'm not good at writing romance because I'm not a particularly romantic person. (laughs) Um, 
and I always get sidetracked by other things going on in these characters' lives. So it tends to be pretty heavily character-driven. And romance is really supposed to be focused on relationship. It's relationship-driven. And I just can't sustain that for an entire book. So um, my, I think my work tends to blur the lines between contemporary general fiction, slice of life, and romance. Um, and of course, my most, my upcoming one is primarily about, you know, it's primarily slice of life and this contemporary fantasy kind of thing. But also there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of a love story, but that's not the focus of the, it's yeah. not the focus of the story at all. Yeah. Well, I should say romance in quotes, because it was, it was more, it was definitely more, you know, a little bit of character, then some sex, a little bit of character, a little more sex. So, yeah. <laughs> Quote unquote romance. Yeah, the sex can get out of hand, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So so um yeah, let's talk about sex. Why not? Um <laughs> <laughs> what's the limit on erotic scenes in a romance novel? I mean, do you guys find that sometimes you get um when you when you write the romance that it's it's a balance between physical romance and emotional romance that you have to strike. Yeah. Yeah. And people get mad if there's not enough, uh, if there's not enough descriptive sex, I have edited erotica and I don't like doing it. I don't actually care for erotica all that much. Um, oh. I think it's fine. It's just not for me. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm like sex negative here and think that erotica yeah. is immoral. I have no problem with it. It's just not for me personally. Yeah. So I've edited it. And every time I edit, uh, I've edited erotica. I, I get to another sex scene and I'm like, oh God, they're doing it again. Yeah. <laughs> and I just feel don't so breathe? Yeah. defeated. Yeah. Like, do you yeah. people ever put your clothes on? Yeah. <laughs> And just go to the grocery store. Just anything other than this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To me, when I read erotica, it works better short story form versus the whole book. Yeah. Yeah. I found that I just got to a point where I was trying to put sex scenes in because it was what I was under the impression that readers wanted, but it wasn't really what I wanted to write. Like yeah. I prefer things that are either a fade to black or more sensual rather than detailed. And I've read a few books where I just think the author did a marvelous job of writing something that is very sensual, very um, emotional, very connected, but not really very detailed. Mm -hmm. uh, That's an art form. I think, well, I think my yeah. one publisher described it as, um, through a misty window <laughs> yeah. um, as nice. the, the way that that comes across. And I, I just, I think it's beautifully written. I've, I've read some wonderful uh, scenes that are like that. And I, that's what I'd rather read. And I think it's what I'd rather write. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, there's something to be said about implied um, in the art of, of showing things through implication. And, uh, mm. oh, and, yeah. um, you know, and we like, you know, in the eighties with the, uh, horror movies there was, it was all gore and it's like it, it and then you kind I kind of pine from back in the day when you couldn't show that and they had to imply it because you have to work harder to imply that um that something's happened versus just showing it happening um yeah. and, and they would come up with all these cool ways of, of uh you know through camera work or whatever um or plot or the writing itself um 
it got very artistic, you know. Um, well, it, gives, it gives the audience a chance to actually use their imagination. Yeah, yeah. You know, get gets the, the brain working, which is what I like. I like subtlety. I mean, sometimes it's nice to be overt in certain things, but subtlety is nice because then you get the reader involved or you get the audience involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes my brain work. So what what's your book going to be about, Mick? Um, stuff and things. No. Um, so it, it's... Uh, I don't know. I wrote it, so I don't have to remember what it's about now. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's it's a short little, It's a, like I said, it's a novella. It's just a short little one. It's about uh, a gay couple, and one of them, his past, basically it's kind of a, a past comes to haunt him quite literally. He was a part of a, a satanic group, and they uh, decide to come back a call and because they got one more wow. thing they want to do and they need to get the band back together essentially and do one last thing. And it, it winds up uh, kind of a, a trip to hell type of thing dealing with, and it, it, hell is a misnomer, but I don't want to give too many things away here, you know, build up that reader's anticipation, but uh, dealing with just a lot of how we put together our, our own hells and, also dealing with like, I guess inner. Not, I don't say it's a horrible way to describe this, but interdimensionality. I guess. Oh, cool! Like planes of reality yeah. and, and things yeah. like that. Um, cool. Yeah, it's it, it's an idea. Actually, I I've been kicking around for a long time, and in my last collection, I wrote a story which kind of touched on it, and I was actually gonna not do anything with that, turn it into a, a full-length novel, but then I decided to do the anthology, and then um, decided, well, the hell with that, I'll go ahead and flesh out all these ideas anyway, and see where it goes, so it's been kind of something in the, in the making for a while, but I wanted to make sure it definitely represented community in a few ways, um, and it, it kind of gains a spectrum, and I was a little surprised that a, a straight up horror publisher actually was interested. And I figured if anyone was, then okay, these, these folks are cool. And Terror Tract, it's they're they're a cool bunch of cats. So I'm um, I'm looking forward to it. Um so hopefully here soon I'll I'll know when I it's gonna be out. Does it have a title yet? Verum Malum. Okay. Which is Latin for true evil. You know, let us know it's out. We'll put it up on our Facebook or something. Cool. Um, Amy, what's yours going to be about? And does it have a title? Yes, it does. So the book is called Every Time We Meet. And the release date is May 1st. It is about um, a mom in her 30s who's got three kids, um, a an older teenager and uh, two younger ones. She's divorced from her, uh, her husband, they, you know, one of those couples that mm -hmm. got married very young, um, wanted, had kids very, very young and, um, it didn't work out. And so she's got a contentious relationship with her ex and his new wife and their toddler. And, uh, she's about to propose to her girlfriend who happens to be her daughter's music teacher and everything about her day goes wrong. Everything. 
Uh, and so at the end of the day, she's just, uh, she's, she's upset and disappointed and things haven't gone well. And she makes a wish on a bouquet of lilacs for her day to, to be able to do her day over again and get it right. And so she has to keep reliving this day, trying to figure out what it is that she did wrong. And she's a perfectionist and a mom who wants to do all the right things. So she keeps trying to figure out how to get all her kids to the places they need to be, get to the place where she's proposing to somebody and have it all go perfectly. And it, it just never, it, it never works out. But each time she learns some new thing about what's, what's going wrong. And so this is, this is a, a, a very, um, a very bisexual <laughs> novel in that um, I put a twist on it in that she's not proposing to the same person each time. So each oh, new day that she well, redoes, there's a different person who's been introduced at some other point in the story that becomes the person that she's engaged to. So, and they cool. are, they come in all different genders and, and ultimately um, she does, uh, she does meet someone that she wants mm -hmm. to be with um, on her terms. Uh, and so it's really just how she gets to that point. And, hmm. um, and I did choose to set it again, like I said uh, at the beginning in my hometown at our annual Lilac Festival. So we have a park um, in the city that is planted with lilacs upon lilacs upon lilacs so there's a huge festival that it's like one of those street festivals but it's in the yeah. park with all yeah. of the vendors and the food trucks and the nice uh, and the events and uh there's concerts every night and they're doing it a little bit differently this year just because of covid and didn't have it at all last year but normally oh, wow. we do have this big festival uh, we were just actually at the park the other day and the magnolias were blooming. So nice. you could just, um, you could just smell the, the scent of the blooms on the air everywhere in the park. And it was just gorgeous cherry wow. blossoms and, um, and it's, it's a little too early for lilacs. Lilacs are usually May. Um, yeah. but so, you know, I noticed both these books have sci-fi elements in them. You got yeah. a huge sci-fi fan. <laughs> so yeah both of them have like or, or i guess fantasy too. yeah so yeah but i think mine is sounds more... like it has a it sounds like more fantasy because it's a wish but at the same time it's just talking about something that happens over time and cause and effect like oh yeah you know. yeah yeah so that's interesting that yeah so yeah time loop is generally considered i think contemporary fantasy yeah so uh, but this is kind of in the style of like a Groundhog Day or I can't think of other ones where there's this movie that I, the teen movie that I watched years and years ago called Christmas Every Day, where this kid has to relive Christmas over and over again. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Until he figures out not to be a jerk to everyone, I guess. Okay. And solve all the yeah. world's problems. Okay. It's my favorite. Um, uh, it's my favorite plot device. So I really, really wanted to write one. Yeah. Anything else coming up, like promotional events or anything like that for you guys? Uh, I'm actually doing another podcast. I'm going to be on the Rote podcast in early May. Cool. So I give you a link for that. I mean, obviously the podcast isn't up yet, but I can give you a link for the website that that will be on. Um, and sometime maybe later this year or possibly early next year, I have another novel that will be out that is a contemporary literature um, road trip novel. Nice. 
Wow. How do you do multiple novels at once, Amy? How do you keep that? Uh, okay. Head? So this, every time we meet was one I had written years ago for National Novel Writing Month, and it was a rewrite. So okay. that just took me a few months to clean it up and get it ready to go. The other one took me about two years to write, and I was writing it simultaneously with other stuff. That's impressive. I don't think I could keep things straight in my head. Uh, Well, I'm just hoping that now that I have a a regular job, but it's in a school, which means I have my summers off, that I can use that time to actually write and do some work then. Yeah. 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 How about you, Nick? Any any promotional stuff? Any things you'd like to mention? Links or anything? No, I don't have anything uh, promotional. I, in, I don't know. I COVID. I, I guess subconsciously use it as an excuse to uh, just give up on self promotion for a while. I just, I need to get back on it. I haven't, yeah. I haven't really got anything going on as far as that goes. Um, working on. I'm actually working on doing some literary fiction again for once. Um, I've been trying to get back into that, but the opportunities with Terror Tract, I figured, you know, I definitely got a yeah well that's hot I'm glad I have so um nothing big really going on right now cool well you guys guess that's about it thank you to Mick Collins and A.M. Leibowitz Amy Leibowitz of uh great writers in their own right um and wonderful co-hosts obviously and um I've had fun doing this today so, um, I had fun too, and thank you, Elizabeth, and keeping all keep, keeping us on track yeah. and keeping this thing going. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun, actually. Um, anyway, there's a whole Bi Plus universe out there waiting for you. Reach out and find your community.